a language that holds both the rest of Christ that is so important to us, but speaks to the spiritual process before and after the the rest. A language that speaks to the trajectory of the Christian heart. A language that provides direction and order to the spiritual life. A language that seeks seeks to speak to God's rest in proportion to its place in the spiritual journey. We have largely been a church that has emphasized our being in Christ, and this being in Christ is primarily a relationship of rest. Rest because grace is free, so stop worrying for it. You don't earn grace. You don't control grace. This grace is Christ Jesus, filled with love for you. Christ says, be still, rest, when we are laboring in falsehood, working out of our own strength, working out of fear. Christ says, be still, you are mine. And I think we could mostly agree the language of rest that we emphasize here at the Painted Door has found its home primarily with people burnt out with church. (laughs) That was totally me. Many of us, maybe most of us, have grown up in the church or have been in the church long enough, for a long enough time, to get completely sick of the church or get very distrustful of the church. So the rest that we articulated was a rest heard best by Christians feeling overworked, feeling not loved as they are, feeling like they are not given the space to figure things out. And this, there's really no way that this will go away. <laughs> Each of your pastors are church burnouts in one way or another. And those who hear us most clearly will most likely be similar to us. <laughs> it is always humbling to think to think that we can never really speak beyond what we are. We just are. Uh, But we are still going to work at speaking a gospel that more naturally, more consistently, includes the transformational realities of our relationship with God. A gospel of rest that better accommodates spiritual formation. Because the gospel is Christ. Our rest is Christ. But rest without love for him will become no rest at all. When I look at my own life, I see times all over the place where an idea of rest is being preferred by me rather than the person of rest. I'll make rest as cheap as possible. (laughs) I'll scoff at being anything other than the jerk that I am, and I will call it grace all the time. I think a question that we could ask, all ask ourselves, is how often have we put the gift before the giver? Because rest is not our salvation. Rest is not our reward in this life. Christ is our reward. And he can require what he requires. Sometimes he brings rest. Sometimes he brings storms. Uh, 
But of course, what is rest? Rest must be defined, because being a Christian does often grant a deep rest in the soul, even in the storm, but not always. Christ, more often than not, is just letting you be you. In letting you be you, be you he slowly convinces us of his love. Christ with you, in your soul, alongside you. In this relationship with Christ, we are completely and really free in so many ways. It is crazy to me how much room God gives us to disobey him. So much so that this is probably like the number one thing that causes me to doubt him more than anything else. Like, what is kindness? Will your kindness stop my unkindness? It would be kind of you if you did stop me, God. If my son was running into the street, I would stop him because I'm a decent father. So why, God, didn't you stop me? There is a freedom in this relationship with Christ that isn't afraid of the worst of you. Christ will go to your darkness. Christ will be present there. And in the presence of your worst enemies, Christ will anoint your head with oil. It is the presence of God that brings rest. But it is not an absence of activity or a life without direction, but a fullness in a person entirely other, yet entirely for you. So there can be no tension between being in Christ or doing in Christ. To have faith is to be alive. And to be alive is to be doing life with Christ. The gift of faith is a gift always being received, moment by moment, over and over, through the indwelling Holy Spirit of Christ. We are given spiritual presence and knowledge, and in faith we are given a gift that matures and grows up into Christ. And in the presence of Christ, what we are commanded to do, what we are told to do, becomes what we will do through the Holy Spirit. Christ commands us to believe, and through the Holy Spirit we believe. Christ commands us to obey him. Through the Holy Spirit we are taught obedience. Christ commands us to love him, and through the Holy Spirit we begin to love Christ. Christ commands us to love others, and through the Holy Spirit we begin to love others. Love comes from Christ's transforming work in our hearts. Love for God and a love for humanity. To love Christ more is the trajectory of the Christian heart. And from love with Christ will come an overflow, an overflow of love for others. Here's the place where the gospel of rest can better accommodate spiritual formation. The gospel of rest, above all else, 
is a constant call to be convinced of the unconditional love of God. The love of God is the only rest that can truly form the soul. God's love forms our love, and love is born of rest. Rest in the love of God, from an acceptance that God loves you just the way you are. This acceptance of God's love drives out fear and releases your heart to love Christ and to love others. We love because he first loved us. So, true love must be born of rest. In this love, we are purified, and in this love, faith grows and matures. As far as I can tell, at the practical level, the way Christ matures and grows the Christians in the faith into acceptance of love is a slow-moving process of reminders and repetitions. Slow moving in the spiritual life, in your spiritual walk, is overwhelmingly normal. (laughs) Day by day is normal. It is a slow process because each of us are deeply fractured. And most of us, all of us, would prefer a redemption that just lets us pass over any feelings of loss, of brokenness, of bankruptcy. But Christ has nothing to lose, and Christ keeps it real. He uses every moment we give him, from the most dark, the most painful, to the most peaceful, the most good, all the bits and pieces of our lives are being realigned around him. He lives with us from the inside out. Our pain, our pride, our sin, he begins to slowly draw out. But the sickness in us is great. But in, making, in him making us more real, more alive, nothing really goes to waste in his hands. So God takes you and whatever you have to offer him and makes it into his works. It is God taking everything you meant for sin now being meant for your good. This miracle is painstakingly slow as God patiently works faith and repentance into your soul. God's knowledge of our sin, our sin that clings so closely, is far beyond our own. And we would all prefer a different process, I think, a faster process. But I think a different process, a faster process, something that stepped out of this slow, painstakingly grinding, (laughs) Pastor Kirk used to call it the grinding, Uh, this slow process, it would be less real if it was less than that. Less loving to the whole of me. The me, the whole of me, is actually exactly what Christ loves. My body and soul, and everything that makes me, me, is what Christ wants with him. Life with Christ in this, is this way because, well, his definitions of love and freedom are far better than our own. God really wants me 
and you to be me and you. Just me and you with him. So you and me being with God in our individual lives is the slow process of his story and our story becoming intertwined forever. What we often forget is that this spiritual life is experienced person to person. God and me. God and you. Maybe this is easy to forget because Christ is presently away from us in the flesh. He is only present to us by his Holy Spirit. But God is one. To have the Spirit is to have the Son, is to have the Father. We are simply given relationship with God. The Father invisible, the Son visible, the Spirit indwelling. This is our gift. God alone. So person to person, he is saving us. Now, now the topic of today's sermon, which is why is called Why Do We Use the Liturgical Calendar or Christian Calendar? But first, according to the Christian calendar, this Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday in the liturgical year. It is something like a New Year's Eve as far as Sundays go. And the point of this Sunday is to remember that Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ is King of the universe. I actually think this is my third time preaching on Christ as King, so it's a three-peat. So it's awesome, because growing up, all I just, I just wanted to be like Mike. <laughs> uh, so three-peat, awesome. Keep going. Um, the point of this Sunday is to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is the King of the universe. It seems like a a very appropriate Sunday to then affirm our commitment to use the liturgical calendar and explain its purpose to us. And the Christian calendar is built upon the premise that Christ is king over all the universe. All things orbit and find their place around him. Our world, our time, our lives, our thoughts, he is the end for which all things were made. Christ is God, and all things are being put into submission to him. To know Christ is to know God. Christ, this is a very simple truth that when I say it, I'm surprised how often people are like, oh yeah, Christ is actually the only God you will see. Like, you can tell yourself that over and over and over. He is the only God you will ever see. To know Christ is to know truth. All truth is God's truth. To know him is to know beauty. The beauty of creation is all in relation to Christ. Colossians 1.16 reads, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is the author, and he alone is the one setting all things right. There is... There's just like this extreme simplicity to Christ's reign over all things. It's like the more a creature conforms to Christ, the truer the creature is to God and to itself. I'll say that one more time. The more a creature conforms to Christ, the truer the creature is to God and to itself. As a creature departs from Christ... Death and decay fill the empty space within us and fill the empty space around us. So, why do we use the Christian calendar? 
Well, to answer from our context, we have learned and are learning that tradition is not our enemy. But we, I mean, I don't just mean our church, but we meaning the evangelical subculture that makes up who we are. Tradition is born out of Christian community. And Christian community is the place of Christian formation. So these traditions arrive to us from places in the Christian walk that are older than us, wiser than us, further down the road than us. Tradition is, is an escape from the race for the coolest, newest, and shiniest product to help people follow Jesus. Which, that race is kind of what has defined the evangelical church in America for such a long time. And ironically, tradi tradition in the last decade, so, decade or so is the cool, new, shiny product, but it's also the death of cool, which makes it even cooler. <laughs> uh, so, that is why we use the Christian calendar. It's cool. So, first... What is the Christian calendar? What did it, where did it come from? The Christian calendar was born out of the Hebrew calendar. The first Jewish Christians were a religious people of holidays and festival, festivals before Christ the Messiah came, and they continue to be so as the church. So the year, naturally for them, was divided into different seasons, each season with its own holidays, each fixed to the story and history of Christ's life. In the Christian calendar, we see both Christ's history for us and a recommended posture for us. The entire Christ event is told in symbols and stories and holidays and seasons. And what do I mean by a recommended posture? I mean, like each season comes with different feels and feelings and theological emphasis and prayers and fastings and scripture readings, etc. And in the observances are directions and order for the spiritual life from those who have gone before us, who have lived this life before us. But, well, because we come to this practice of the liturgical calendar as evangelicals or angsty evangelicals or post-evangelicals, we basically pick and choose our level of participation based on what seems appropriate for our community. And at this point, the rhythm that we have at this moment isn't really going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So our rhythm is this. Following this Sunday, we'll observe Advent. We'll have, uh, celebrate Christmas, there's Lent, there's Holy Week, there's Easter, and in all that, there's ordinary time. We'll look briefly at each section, looking first at the place in the calendar and the history of Christ being taught to us. Then we'll look at how the liturgical calendar serves the spiritual life, how the calendar gives direction and order to the life of faith. So, Advent. Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year and takes up the four Sundays before Christmas. Advent is a season of waiting, a season of anticipation. This season dips back into the hopes and longings of the Old Testament people who were promised that the Messiah would be given to them, but they did not know the time or the day. So they waited, and they hoped. 
They believed God would keep his word. Advent has also been a time for Christians to remind ourselves of Christ's second coming, which I will return to that when we look to our experience of faith. Next we have Christmas. And Christmas is very familiar to all of us. is a celebration that the promised Savior has arrived. To have Christ is to have Christ in the manger, the Son of God, God with us. Christmas takes us to this infant babe, the beginning of a life lived entirely for us. A Christ who can be our peace with God and provide us with a new, eternal humanity. And after Christmas is the first season of ordinary time, which I tend to think in this season of the life Christ lived in his normal, ordinary life the life of Christ before his ministry, but still a life lived entirely for us. He lived the sinless life all humanity was made to live. Everything about himself he gave for us. His life was for us. He was a child for us. He obeyed his parents for us. He grew up for us. He needed, he went to work for us. His humanity was for us. There just was nothing in it for him other than giving us him. So, from after ordinary time, then there is the 40 days of Lent, which we have practiced for about four or five years-ish now, which begins on Ash Wednesday. This commemorates Christ's fasting in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. And this is a season of fasting and repentance. To have Christ at this time is to have Christ in the whirlwind of his ministry, teaching and healing, eating and drinking, loving and living, all in the direction and moving towards the cross. It is a season that remembers Christ's sufferings, Christ putting himself forward in our suffering, making himself perfect in suffering, so that he could exchange his life for ours. So Lent goes all the way up into Holy Week, and that ends, Lent ends on Holy Thursday, which is the night of the Lord's, the Last Supper, and the night Jesus was arrested. And that brings us to Good Friday. And Good Friday is the day of the cross. And to have Christ is to have Christ hanging and dying on the cross. It is called good because the cross is the victory of God. It is the center, the source and summit of salvation, tradition often says. The cross is the center of salvation because his suffering and death in the flesh was the price for humanity. Sin, Satan, and death lost all claims on our bodies and our souls in the cross. In the wounds of his flesh, he opened the life of God to us. With suffering and death, Christ brought us into peace. Peace with him, peace with ourselves. His death was the exchange so that we could be, he could be, God, and we could be with God as we are. And on the third day, he rose again, death having no hold on him. He took up his humanity in resurrection. And here we have Easter Sunday, 
And with Easter Sunday begins the season of Easter Tide, which lasts for about six Sundays. And on the seventh Sunday after Easter is Pentecost Sunday, which marks the complete transition from the time of Christ into the time of the church. And with Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the first disciples, filled them with Christ's one gospel, a gospel for every people, for every tribe, Christ for anyone who would have him, anyone who would believe in him. So the Holy Spirit, through the church and for the church, is going through all the world to gather together from every nation and tribe a people of God. And so from Pentecost Sunday to this Sunday, Christ the King, this is the second season of Ordinary Time. And after this Sunday, we are right back at the beginning of the liturgical year and into Advent. So that, that is the liturgical year in general. And there are many opportunities to expand our practices if we feel like it. The traditions are really all over the place. Each communion sort of does what they like best, but all sort of similar, just the life and death of Christ, the life of Christ. Like, one suggestion for next year would be Christ the King Sunday in Sweden is called the Sunday of Doom. Like, that sounds awesome. (laughs) I'll preach on the Sunday of Doom. (laughs) Uh, Actually, one of my, I think, going, what will lead later into, as I return to thinking through Advent a bit, uh, in the Eastern churches, the time after Pentecost uh, is, is given to Advent being dedicated to the Second Coming, which I would love if we talked more about the Second Coming. Anyways, um, so what the liturgical year gives us is what is most important, and that is the history of Christ his birth, his life, his death, and resurrection. And this history is not dead, but alive as much as Christ is alive. Christ doesn't get stuck in history. There wasn't a single thing that happened to Christ that damaged him or took from him or wounded him in the way that we are wounded. His life lived was quite the opposite of ours. His life was life in abundance. He was bursting with eternal life from birth to the cross. And all the obedience he learned in suffering and death was so that you and me could be included in his eternal life. Everything Christ did was for you. And everything Christ did is everything that Christ is. Christ just never gets stuck in history. To have Christ is to have Christ in the manger. To have Christ is to have Christ teaching and healing the poor. To have Christ is to have Christ hanging and dying on the cross. To have Christ is to have Christ leaving the grave in resurrection power. To have Christ is to have Christ on the throne where he currently sits as king. Everything Christ did is everything that Christ is. So, how does the calendar give direction and order to the experience of faith? It keeps the message and the direction the same. Year after year, season after season, it is Christ, his person, and life. 
And knowing him and walking in closer conformity to him is the only way about this. Because Christ is not fractured. Every moment of his life is available to us for devotion. And through him, every moment of our own lives is an opportunity for devotion to him. All of us, again, would prefer a redemption that just uses the good things, that lets us pass over any feelings of loss or brokenness. But Christ keeps it real, and he uses every moment that we give him, from the most dark, the most painful, to the most peaceful, and opens up his whole person to us. Again, what we often forget is that the spiritual life is experienced person to person. God and me. God and you. Present to us by his Holy Spirit. To have the Spirit is to have the Son, is to have the Father. The Father invisible, the Son visible, the Spirit indwelling. So, mysteriously, by this Spirit indwelling, we are connected to his history. The character and the experience of faith given to the church is connected to every moment of Christ's incarnation. The character and experience of faith orbit and find their place around him. The gift of faith is not only a divine life in me, but a human life. A life lived from work that he has worked. From the humanity that he assumed. And healing power overflows to us out of the heart of Christ. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Grace, awakens us and dwells within us so that inwardly and spiritually we are repeating again the life he lived in the Gospels all the bits and pieces of our lives being realigned around Christ. At the beginning of your spiritual journey, we go from death to life. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of, to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So in this, in this life, in this death to life, we are connected to his birth, we are connected to his cross, we are connected to his resurrection, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This gift of faith is a gift always being received. Moment by moment, over and over, through the Holy Spirit of Christ. It is his birth again, in that Christ returns to the earth to grow and become fully formed within our souls. It is his cross, because this new life with him is death to my sin, death to my independence, the end of my life without God. It is his resurrection, the same spirit that he walked out of the grave with, he sends to dwell within us, and it is resurrection ongoing. So much of our call to rest here at the painted door is a call into this ongoing resurrection. It is not up to you. You don't make yourself a Christian. God makes you a Christian. 
Stop working at something you cannot achieve, at what God has already achieved. Your faith, Christian, is alive. So sit and adore Christ. Sit and learn that God loves you. See and feeling and see and feel the feelings that Christ felt while he was on this earth. Feel the pleasure of the Father with your being. And Christ is saving you right now. And all of you, with faith, can say, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But sin is still sin, and sin must be unlearned. The brokenness of sin within us and around us is still suffered. But the way to open... But the way to open to God is to suffer all things with Christ. To even receive all your sufferings as Christ's own sufferings. In suffering, our hard, doubting hearts are broken, and the Spirit of Christ begins filling and healing. Healing all the dark crevices of our hearts where we hide all our sin and our fears. And this calls us again to his cross over and over. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever would save his life must lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So take up the cross. Not just inwardly and spiritually, but in our bodies, take up the cross. And we will repeat the life of Christ In our death, in our death, we will repeat the death of Christ. We all come alive in Christ to then die in Christ. In the cross, we will all find our own death. In death, our death, as we pass from this life, we will take up the cross of Christ completely, becoming more like him in death than we even could in life. So, what I hope I'm getting across is that we experience this Christ holistically. His divinity, his humanity, his death, his life, all together, all at once, and all for the taking for those who love him. His feelings will find our feelings. His love will find our love. His identity will find our identity. The direction and order of the calendar knows this. There isn't a moving past Christ. See him, know his story, and start over. He is the beginning and the end. There will never be a time when what, he, what we need is something other than what he already is, what he already has. So if the liturgical calendar sounds boring or gets old from time to time, It's actually our heart that is old. It is not the story of Christ. And the liturgical calendar offers to carry your heart while it learns to be young again. The 
calendar can be a union for us, like our union with Christ. His whole person, his hands, side, and feet scarred for life, broken but whole. Our person united to his person. A union where we can come alive in. A union we can rest in, we can sin, and live in, grow in, love in, love as we are loved, and die in. His story and our story becoming intertwined forever. I'm going to butcher this last name. Joan Chittister, I think I got it. Joan Chittister, a Catholic nun, uh, says of the liturgical year, Like a great water wheel, the liturgical year goes on relentlessly irrigating our souls, softening the ground of our hearts, nourishing the soul of our lives until the seed of the word of God itself begins to grow in us, comes to fruit in us, ripens in us the spiritual journey of a lifetime. So goes the liturgical year through all the days of our lives. It concentrates us on the two great poles of the faith, the birth and death of Jesus. But as Christmas and Easter trace the life of Jesus for us from beginning to end, the liturgical year does even more. It also challenges, us, challenges, challenges our own life and vision and sense of meaning, both a guide to deeper spiritual maturity and a path to deeper, deepen spiritual life. The liturgical year lends, leads us through all the great questions of faith as it goes. It rehearses the dimensions of life over and over for us all the years of our days. It leads us back again and again to reflect on the great moments of the life of Jesus and so to apply them to our own. Lastly, I said I would return to this idea of Advent. If I was going to make one change to the calendar, and actually there's just a tradition, there's, there's an Eastern tradition that we could just hop on, I would have Advent mark the time from Easter tide to Christmas. Because Advent leads us into the aching hope of both the past and the future. What I have found is that Advent brings me closest to this homesick feeling that ultimately characterizes the entire Christian life. At the moment, Christ is in a distant land. From John's Gospel, Christ says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Advent is a reminder to live your life homesick. Because the true home of a Christian is next to Christ. So, let his absence be your guide. Let our desire to be closer to him be our guide. This homesick feeling in Advent feels so pure to me and a good companion to have at all times. Advent really is our ordinary and Christ will return to us again. Let us pray.